We watch a movie, maybe read a book, or look at some kind of art. And we talk about it together and say lots of interesting things, and one of those things is our favorite parts. This is Favorite Parts with Allison and Pete. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Favorite Parts. I am here this week with my friend Pete. Pete, you can say hi. Hey, folks. <laughs> um, Pete and I are friends from college. We went to college together in Memphis, Tennessee, which is relevant to the movie that we're going to talk about today, which is Elvis by Baz Luhrmann. Um, a little bit about the movie before we start to get into our Elvis bona fides. The movie, this movie, Elvis, was uh, directed by Baz Luhrmann. It was also written by Baz Luhrmann and some combination of Sam Brommel, Craig Pierce, and Jeremy Doner. The writing credits were very strange in this film. Pete, I don't know if you noticed, but it was like Baz Luhrmann and one guy's name, Baz Luhrmann and some guy, other guy's name. It was very confusing to me. It stars Austin Butler as Elvis, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, a bunch of other people. Those are really the main two characters of the film. Hmm. Some that are notable are Olivia De Jong plays Priscilla and fans of the pod right, re- might remember Cody Smith McPhee from uh, Power of the Dog plays Jimmy Rogers Snow, who's a character in the beginning. And also, if you're into Stranger Things, Dacre Montgomery, who plays uh, Eddie Munson, plays one of the producers of Elvis's 68 Comeback Special, which is an important part of the film. Okay, before we start, Pete, we both have feelings about and connections to Elvis. Tell us about your your uh, your Elvis. How do you feel about Elvis? <laughs> what do you think about Elvis? How do you know Elvis? Oh, um, all right. So I'm going to answer this question and answer it on a little bit of both of our behalfs. I would say that we are both Elvis fans. I would say my fandom for Elvis is not uncomplicated. Uh, but, uh, I remember we first lived in Memphis when I was in middle school and I remember like he's just like he's both omnipresent in Memphis but he also be starts to feel like part of your family so it's like this weird relationship where he feels very familiar in some ways but also like you said just like completely untouchable and you know atomic in other ways um and we've both read adds to that one Go thing ahead. That adds to that is the sense that everybody in Memphis has an Elvis story. Like Everybody's got an Elvis if story. You're, if you're 60 or above, right? You, you knew him. You saw him. Your cousin knew him. Somebody right. worked at Crown Electric. Like it was, yeah. Everybody had a story. That's yes, 100. percent Um, and I would just say, like, we're we're we are not novice Elvis. <laughs> Like we've read books about Elvis. I went to go see his 68 comeback special when it was like rebroadcast. And I think 2003, somewhere between 2003 and 2006, it was rebroadcast in movie theaters. And I like dragged one of my friends in New York to go see it with me. Um, so I, you know, like have yeah, seen actually, a lot of I Elvis remember that footage. about you in college. When we met in college, that was kind yeah, of like I was your like, thing. Like yeah, I was Elvis known book. as, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like known. The funny thing to me is like I was a pretentious jerk, and you were like an Elvis fan. 
<laughs> you had pink hair and I had an Elvis clock. Um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, the thing about Elvis is, and the movie does kind of talk about this. There is so much Elvis merchandise in the world that if you say, I like Elvis, like I said, I think one time I like Elvis. The only piece of Elvis memorabilia mm. I ever bought was like a little, I love Elvis keychain on a Tennessee uh, like license plate. Mm-hmm. And it was in the Memphis airport before we moved away. Um, and, but I have a lot of like Elvis music, Elvis movies. I have an Elvis doorstop. I have, you know, like I have been, I have an Elvis blanket has been made for me <laughs> because once you say you like Elvis, people just give you Elvis stuff. I think partially because there's so much Elvis stuff in the mm-hmm. world. It's like easy and cheap to find. Um, okay. So I will say walking in, I didn't really, I tried not to read any reviews or like do too much research because I wanted to like have as much of a clean slate as possible. I would say I like, like some of Baz Luhrmann's other movies. I still think Romeo and Juliet, his version of Romeo and Juliet is very good. Um, I like Moulin Rouge. I don't like The Great Gatsby as a story, but I think he did an okay job like recreating it. But you kind of know what you're walking into with the Baz Luhrmann movie. And and what is that? Like, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of razzle dazzle. There's going to be like, uh, anachronistic musical choices, right? There's like hip hop playing on Beale street in the Mm fifties, which I didn't really mind. Um, but yeah. And there's going to be like some interesting, like camera work and stuff. Um, it's just going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot. Mm -hmm. And this movie was a lot. Uh, But what I'm interested to hear what you thought initially, just like you're walking out of the movie theater. What did, what were you thinking? Well, I guess to say, you know, what I like going into the movie theater, I would not have seen this film in the theater if it were not for this podcast. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. I'm glad I went. Would you have seen it? You would have seen it just not in the theater. Yeah, I would have seen it probably on an airplane or. uh, Oh, really? You wouldn't even have been like, let me check this out on the. a Saturday maybe, night maybe. at home. I, okay. I, there, there are a lot of movies out there. But you would um, not have gone to the theater to see it. No, like I remember I had a friend who it was a, a longtime listener to my, of Miles Davis and they made this like Don Cheadle, Miles Davis biopic. Okay. And he was like, yeah, I've got a relationship with Miles Davis. I don't think I need this movie. That's fair. And that's and how that, you felt. Right. That. And also, uh, you know, it just seemed like. Yeah, the Baz Luhrmann piece didn't. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, a Baz fan. Fair enough. Okay, so you're wa- you didn't want to walk in, but you did, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you walked out thinking, uh, not too bad. Really? Yeah, not okay. too bad. Not too bad. Um, I I went in thinking, um, uh, there's, this is not a movie for me. Yeah, that was a question I kept but having I was like, while can watching. Can I find fun in this place that's not for me? It was like, that's fair. Can, can I go to Showbiz Pizza as a forty-year-old man and find <laughs> find some way to have fun? <laughs> like, have some fun with some animatronic rodents. Um, exactly, or like, yeah, you know what I mean. Probably, I would just say maybe don't go to Showbiz as a forty-year-old man, but um, <laughs> unless you're, you know, with your ne- nieces or nephews. Um, right. so. Yeah, I feel like I walked, I did keep keep thinking to myself, who is this movie for when I was watching it? 
because I don't really think it is for Elvis fans. But and and so then I kept thinking, like, is it for like younger people younger than us that don't have like any Elvis stuff that they're bringing into the movie theater or who just like don't know who Elvis is at all? I, I wasn't sure who it was for. Uh, but most of the people in the theater were old, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. That's that's who... It I was 100% it's... white people in my audience. Hmm. Some gay gay men, gay like gay couples, and a them? lot of old people. No, I, I overheard some conversations. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I would say it's a combination made for people who don't have air conditioning and... <laughs> uh, Want to sit eight, inside for two hundred and forty exactly. or two hours and forty and, and have ADHD. Um, yeah, there was it was a lot of whiplash. I would say I did not like the movie. Like I walked out, I had a lot of feelings. I wanted to. I was excited that we were going to talk about this today because I wanted to work through some of my feelings with someone. But I have not like when even when I texted my family afterwards, and it wasn't like you should go see it. It was like I would be interested to hear what you think about it. <laughs> You said that to them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, cause yeah, my, my dad you and always talk to my your family, like you're uh, administering <laughs> a survey. <laughs> Please rate the film. Um, well, my stepmom and sister are both Elvis fans. And my dad also like, likes Elvis, but Tracy is like a proclaimed Elvis fan. And so, oh, right. Yeah. So it's interesting. And she did it. grow up in Memphis and like her, her dad had, I'm pretty sure has an Elvis story. Um, so yeah, I was interested. She said her brother saw it and thought it was pretty good, which I was kind of surprised at. I, I, I would think a lot of people in Memphis wouldn't like it, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, let's start by talking about what we did like about the movie, if anything. I have found three and a half things that I liked about it. <laughs> would you like to start? Yeah, I can start. I did like the performances. I think it was mostly because I, I think Austin... When I say performances, I mean when they show Austin Butler as Elvis doing mm-hmm. an Elvis performance. Mm-hmm. I thought his acting was fine. Like it wasn't, I did think it, his performance was one of the least objectionable parts of the movie. I thought, and I thought that he did a very good job of imitating. That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I didn't like it. Well, <laughs> Butler. That's what we're going to call him. Well, he did. Okay. So it's a really hard role to play. And no matter how good you are, you're still doing an impersonation, basically. Like, Mm. you know, I, I feel this way about anybody who's playing a real life person. It's like hard to do anything other than an impression, basically. But, um, he really nailed Elvis's like energy and movements on stage in a way that like made me feel like I was watching the videos I've seen of Elvis perform. And like, he was just like such a magnetic performer that it, even though I do think just watching Elvis's performances would have been more entertaining. It still was like the only time that I was like tapping my foot and like excited to be watching the movie. So I liked that part. I liked the costumes. I did think the costumes were pretty good from not just like his stage costumes, but like they did a good job of being pretty accurate to like things I've actually seen Elvis wear in photos and stuff like that. And like, I've, I don't know that I picked this up, but there were certain iconic outfits, like his, the shirt he wore when he was pictured with his dad after his mom passed Mm -hmm. is like a very famous shirt that they included and stuff like that. So it did everything I saw felt like a picture I had seen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I did think that there were some good kind of like kind of winks to people who know a lot about Elvis. Like he drives up in his crown like electric truck. the kids truck. call those Easter eggs. I know. I was going to say Easter eggs. All right, fine. Easter eggs. There's the crown electric truck. You know, there's like he goes to Lansky's. There's just some like little things that are in the background that um, was like for someone who knows more than most people thought Elvis was like, okay, yeah, like I know what that stuff is. Can I say um, something really quickly on that? Yes, you can. I think though those things are quite deceptive because this film has a very tenuous relationship with reality. Whoo! Yes, it does. And historical accuracy. I agree. And yet, and yet it drops in, it peppers the film with these little like, oh, did you know he got his clothes at a store on the right. street called Lansky's? Like Lansky's, there's these, yeah. these like these little bitty things to say, oh, there, there is. To a, give a it like validity. Of, yeah. Give it a sense of credibility and validity. Right. Yeah. That uh, the, the film as a whole doesn't uh, hold hold true to that. I think. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that one, the part that we disliked. Right, but yes, right. that's a fair pushback on one of my likes. And then my final like is I did feel like this is honestly how I think Baz Luhrmann made the film. I'm sure it's wrong, but it felt like he picked like 20 iconic photos of Elvis Presley mm -hmm. and put them on a table and figured out a way to include scenes that like included that photo. You know what I mean? Like starting from honestly, when they show young Elvis, um, like, you know, at the behind the first shot of young Elvis looks exactly like a photo I've seen a million times of Elvis when he's young and has like a button up shirt and overalls on. And he's like a little blonde boy. Um, like I was like, wow, they just basically took that photo and found a kid who looks exactly like that and put him in the same exact outfit. Mm -hmm. and there's other times where it's like his back to the audience like when he's doing the Louisiana hayride and stuff where it like really looks a lot like a lot of those photos that I've seen um which was kind of cool it was a cool way to incorporate iconography I thought but ultimately unsatisfying in the end all right those were the things that I liked about the movie I should know also one thing I find really interesting is that the family really liked this movie Priscilla and Lisa Marie have both said, like, <laughs> for those not watching this video, Pete has just rubbed his fingers together in a money sign. <laughs> I guess they, I, they're, are they making a lot of money? I don't know how royalties work on, on this film. I'm guessing they, I'm sure they found a way. But yeah, okay, that's fair. All right. Uh, what, Pete, what, if anything, did you like about this movie? <laughs> no, I think I'm actually more in favor of the film than you. Um, yeah. Just because I think um, this is not like Elvis is not sacred. Mm. What I liked about the film was the same thing. I said I wasn't going to do this, but one of the things I liked about the film was, you know, bringing in some other people. Like if you think about Quentin Tarantino, a director mm -hmm. that I really loved when I was young, but then kind of uh, as I made my way into uh it was a kind of gateway experience for me and then kind of looking back it's sometimes harder to watch some of the older films um hmm. i mean some of the more recent films i still think the older films of tarantino's hold up but that's another podcast right i get to that to simply say 
12 Years a Slave and Django Unchained came out at the same time. And there was mm-hmm. this kind of like, you know, debate about which one. And there was this kind of outcry against uh, Django Unchained and how uh, far flung it was and how fantastical it was. Right. And I thought, yeah, it's a Tarantino film. And I thought that kind of gesture to artifice and mm-hmm. artificiality shows the impossibility of quote-unquote accurate representations of history that there is no accurate representation right like even the documentary is incredibly constructed right everything in elvis's life was extremely constructed Mm -hmm. and so the fact that i went into this movie and that this was not a little known director but this was like a a well-known director that was going to kind of use it to embolden his own name and his own style and his own aesthetic mm-hmm. and 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 kind of give his own personal account like we're always seeing this as okay this is one filmmaker's take on this like you can never look right. at this and say well this was a film done by consensus or by committee this is one well, yeah. person's take i liked that i liked that because it felt like there's plenty of room for another elvis film if someone wants to make it well um, i agree <laughs> And it also made it, like, just to kind of go back on your point about the photographs, which I think is really apt, I don't, it just felt like the entire film was a montage. Like, mm. it feels like, because I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, they, there was one moment in which they, like, just hyperspeed move through, like, the 60s and all of his films. Yeah. The like, films, yeah. It's like, where they're just like, boom, 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 boom. Here's right. the seven and movies he like, made in 1960 or 1956. Yeah. And it occurred to me, it was like, well, that's kind of the pace of the rest of the film. Yeah. Just up a beat. Whew. And so it's like the entire thing. One of the reasons I didn't, I don't really, I, I, I'm not attracted just by the poster to the film is that mm. I'm not interested in biopics. Yeah. And so I'm not interested in Baz Luhrmann and I'm not interested in biopics. So it's right. like, and I think one nothing of the things for me bio, here. Yeah. One of the things that biopics often struggle with is scale like yeah how do you tell a whole life story in two hours right and i think the best ones are ones where they drop you in on a agree event agree Uh, like truman capote the capote film with um philip seymour hoffman it's Mm -hmm. all around the trial it's all around in cold blood and that's it it's a film about that it's not uh, i totally agree uh, i felt like this film could have been there were like 10 different movies in one film of course. Yeah. Like I would have wanted to see the most interesting part to me was a 68 comeback special. You could have done a whole, yeah, that's a whole film, how it got made all of the like push and pull around political stances and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, the Christmas special, blah, blah, blah. But it was like, they, yeah. In the film, it's like 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. but it could have been an entire movie. It was the only part of the film that really felt like it slowed down for me. I agree. Yeah. Like it it kind of came into that and he, he makes this somewhat specious claim, I think, of Elvis's true political yeah, concerns. Yeah, you're right. He definitely tried, yeah. I saw I saw an author who has written a lot about Tom Parker talk about how Baz just, like, was trying so hard to make Elvis woke when, yeah. like, he, he just... Everything I've read is that it's like Elvis definitely was not a racist person, but he wasn't like ready to take stances against a lot of the things that were happening in the world around him. I don't know how much of, and the movie makes it seem like he was ready, but Parker wouldn't let him. 
Well, and there's no, there's nothing, there, there's nothing there to speak to that. Right. Like, where and are you getting this? Right. You're, you're just sort of making it, up. it into a very specific understanding of what it means to be anti-racist. It's mm-hmm. like our moment's idea of what it means. Right. It's like a 2022 it. whitewashing yeah. of Elvis's. Yeah. But what I liked. Uh, Here we go. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I liked. I liked the artifice of the film. I liked the 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 high style. I liked okay. the because it it made me think a lot. And I don't want to. I think you could go off on a whole tangent on this, mm-hmm. but it really made me think of like German expressionist film, um, like Fritz Lang, Paps, other 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 German filmmakers. Taking us back to our film class at Rhodes College, go, little 19- Metropolis baby. There you go, nineteen twenties. <laughs> well, that's nineteen thirties. It's like the last of the. Okay, sorry. Well, that's the no, only no, no, Fritz no, Lang right. I can name. No, I, think it's, I think it's the. I think it's the classic example everybody right. talks about. But. Um, you know, I, I think it's stylistically consistent with this interest in, uh, you know, fantastic elements and yeah. perspective and the unconscious, but also in this gesture to the supernatural and this consistent effort to uh, supersede human limitations mm. by delving into uh, the occult or mm. some sort of... Um, you know, dark magic, like all the carnival stuff, all the carnival stuff, his, yeah. his tie with this kind of libidinal power, right, right, of, right, 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 uh, coursing underneath the film, right, um, you know, that that aligns with the a, a lot of the, the kind of themes in German expressionist film. Mm. Um, and I, I, I was and, and also you've got Tom Hanks's like, I think it's a Dutch accent okay i read a but lot it, it about sounds, the accent. it sounds germanic it and sounds so, germanic it sounds which and, i think they do to make him seem more evil honestly exactly and it's got this kind of creepy uh it, it, it's and, and then you know elvis goes to germany so it feels like oh that's true this kind of go to germany grimm's fairy tale because like the grimm's fairy tales were always quite dark right yeah and like we and, and faust itself was mm-hmm. a German folktale, I believe. I'm not. I'm not a Germanicist, but like you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that it has roots. Sounds in right. Kind of Let's go. Folk origins, fairy tales. Right. And that's what this had. It had that kind of, you know, he's he's kind of like a witch in this. Yeah. And he has that kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fair. Yeah, and and, and so it, it made me think of the, wizard technically, but technically, <laughs> uh, German expressionist film. Um, uh, anything else I liked about it? Um, let's see if there was anything else. Uh, that, that'll do it for now. Okay. Let's talk about what we did not like about the film, which is what I'm more interested in talking about. Okay. Yes. Okay. Are you ready? The first, my, my main gripe with this film is that there is no plot. It is just like a rollicking. There's a framing device, but there is no like building action and climax and falling action like the whole thing is like just like adventure I don't know it just there was no pacing I it was there was no plot I kept being like I looked at it there was no plot (laughs) yeah that's probably what I like the most about it Um, (laughs) so it's fair I love a plot this is something that Trey and I argue about also like he's fine with like these plotless aimless things but I I want to be told a story Mm mm-hmm 
this there wasn't really a story well, a story honestly. and a plot are two different things okay but did you think there was a story here yeah okay well it was a rambling story <laughs> by someone who it needed more editing in my opinion it needed mm-hmm. more editing mm-hmm. um it was too long i looked at my watch at least four times and kept i kept being like like i first looked at it an hour in and i was like okay we're at this point in his life and we still got to get, I assume we're going to the end. <laughs> like, what are we going to do in between here and there? But yeah, it was way too long. Um, You're like, thank God he died in his forties. <laughs> Seriously, it would have been for five apparently, apparently there's a four hour version that exists, which sounds terrible. Um, I did not like, I, well, this is more of a don't like slash don't fully understand hmm. the choice to tell this from Tom Parker's point of view. Mm-hmm. I, to me, I felt like the movie should have been called the Colonel rather than Elvis because, and I've, I will say that this is something that like other things I've read or listened to have pointed out. You don't really ever understand what's happening in Elvis's mind. Right. Like you don't really get too much into his interiority. You get a little bit in the 68 comeback special, I'd say is the one place you get it more than anywhere else. But Elvis is always just kind of like this, almost like a a pawn in Parker's game. So it's, I don't know. It's, I just didn't like, I, to me, this wasn't really the story of Elvis. This was a story. This was the title of the film should either be Baz Luhrmann's Elvis or Tom Parker's Elvis. That's how I felt. So I didn't really like the framing device of, I didn't like that Parker was telling the story. So a couple things on that. Uh, So (laughs) one thing that seems uh, we should talk about. Yes. I think to go back to your piece of performances, Mm -hmm. um, I think the criteria, it's Austin Butler. Is that his name? Austin Butler is the actor's name, yeah. With an S at the end or no S? Butler no or S. Butler's? A singular Butler. Butler. Um, he's somewhat of a fresh face, I would take it. I'm not yeah, a, he I'm was not a, in uh, I'm not, one of your, one of your boy Clinton movies. Oh, yeah, he, he was in the last one, the The, the Hollywood, Hollywood one, movie. yeah. But not a not a not a post. He's he's not on the poster, I don't think. Or if he is, he's no. I don't think he's the main know, character. But that everything right. I read is like he was in this one other movie. But yes, he's otherwise like a not well, not very well known actor. And so that that plays to his advantage. You could tell that he right. doesn't want to take someone who's got an established career. So you're always thinking, is yeah. That apparently, like Harry- as Lucy Ball. <laughs> like oh my god, don't get me started on that movie. But um, but apparently to, Harry but Styles you- tried out for the movie, didn't get it. Who's that? Harry Styles, he's a famous singer. Oh what God. an awful name, Harry Styles. I got Harry Styles. He's British. He used to, he was a member of One Direction, a very famous pop group. He's got the song of the summer right now, Pete. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you later. Oh. Okay. Cool. So yes, I Harry think Styles. that's Harry Harry Styles. Um, I, I have a lot more to say about him, but um, yeah, I think you're right that Baz picked someone not well. Like people don't have a lot of baggage or like conceptions of what this guy is. Harry Styles. Would you stop saying? Uh, I'm trying to think if I ever <laughs> know him. Um, I, like I'm trying to think. Okay, no, but no, I think 
then you have to see, okay, how do you get uh, a huge budget film off the ground if you're going to have a a fresh face? uh, So you think he was like, I need Tom Hanks so that this will get made. The the film has to have an established actor to green light it. And mm. if you're not going to have an established actor wow. as your lead, then you have to have it as, well, as your co-star. It has to be a kind Such of... Such a practical answer to my complaint. Well, um, <laughs> well that's me, Mr. Practical. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's the best explanation I've heard so far. Yeah, I, I wasn't opposed to Tom Hanks. I kind of like, it was like, yeah, this is, this is fun. It was an odd choice. I think it's an odd choice for him. Yeah. Probably. But I, th- I, from what I read, he was like excited to work with Baz Luhrmann. So maybe it was just like, I think he l- likes Elvis, likes mm-hmm. Baz Luhrmann. He's like, oh, Baz will do a really cool movie about Elvis because he does everything so big. Mm-hmm. Let's try it. Yeah. Uh, not like for me. Uh, I hear all your not likes. Um, yeah. What's your, what do you got? I thought. Vegas isn't very airbrushed, hmm. but Memphis is. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Bill Street looks like a, uh, in the movie, looks like the back Disneyland. lot of a movie studio. Yeah. It looks, it, it looks like, it looks like. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the whole thing like was shot in Australia, right? Isn't that, yeah. That's where know? Tom got COVID. That's right. That's right. During this movie. Um, taking one for the team. Uh, (laughs) yeah that's very fair memphis is pretty airbrushed bill street looks like pristine and quaint and i think this is just a matter of like uh, my next comment's ignorant because it's like going into a sushi place and not wanting raw fish but i thought that (laughs) overproduction of blues and r&b in the beginning yeah was a bit much i just felt like these songs are incredibly transgressive and edgy and mm, raw avant-garde in their moment. And right. you don't have to do all of this mm. uh, trap beat uh, syncopation and, you know, you know, uh, overproduction to, right. to make them, to make them seem relevant and new. Yeah. Like right. if you listen to listening to, um, those early sun recordings, I mean, especially yeah. the first two or three, mm-hmm. they sound like the Sex Pistols or they sound yeah. like, I mean, they sound like anything that they still, sound cool. They sound like they sound like everything after this that doesn't sound like this is funny. Like mm. th- th- this, like just kind of strips the veneer off everything. Right. And it had that kind of razor's edge to it and him coming in and like, bringing in these kind of modern twists kind of domesticated it a little for me. It made it kind of hokey. Um, yeah. So, but that's, again. That's if fair. You're, if you're going into this movie expecting him not to do that. Right, of course um, he's going to do that. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, anything else I didn't like? Well, I, I, I was going to say, I think I'll say it now. One thing that I think was a missed opportunity in the film, mm. just given like the little I know about Baz Luhrmann and what I know about Elvis's life, 
it seems that Lerman is attracted to these kind of uh, over-the-top representations, these over-stylized representations, these kind of oh, yeah. fantastic. He seems to be addicted to glamour and romance. Glamour. Did you know he helps put on the Met Gala every year? Uh, I did know that, actually. Of no, course you did. I didn't know. No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I had no, no idea about I was like, that. of course you did. I no, just learned no, it I, yesterday, and I was like, that tracks. The Met Gala is the thing where... Uh, it's like they pick a different outfits. theme, and yeah, people mm-hmm. wear crazy outfits, and yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, when I when sense. I read it, I was like, yeah, of course he does. Yeah, yeah, why, why wouldn't he? Right. Um, but then it strikes me as strange that he overlooks what I think is the source of Elvis's late career or no mid career yeah. glamour, the, the cold, the gold LeMay suit, all of that is kind of coming. Maybe this is a, an argument. I don't think it is. I think this is out there. Um, it's not my take, but all of that's coming from Liberace, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the fifties when Elvis does his first like stint out in Vegas, right? Parker introduces him to, um, to uh liberace because liberace's got a very wide broad appeal yeah and cha-ching that's what the that's what wants parker for. wants right yeah. and so he's like you guys should you know get to know each other and they actually do and they make they become friends and they're friends you know uh, from what i can tell he's from what i can tell and this is you know historians will probably debate me on this and I, yeah. I don't know i won't debate them i'll just sit there and listen and be like okay, cool <laughs> um but it seems to me that he had a stronger relationship with liberace than he did with bb king and yeah i read that he and bb king i was very interested to know what the truth was about the bb key thing because they make i mean in many ways bb king's character is like the magical Negro, which is like a trope in a lot of films, right? Yeah, Where it's yeah. like the wise black man. And they definitely knew each other and liked each other, but I don't think they had the kind of like a relationship where Elvis was confiding in him that the Parker was pressuring, you know, that Colonel Parker was pressuring him to do something, blah, blah, blah. But continue. I, mean, I think it would have been like, I think that could have been a really interesting film. Like, Liberace and Elvis or BB King? Well, I think Elvis? that could have been an interesting film, but I yeah. think nobody, I, I think that's a whole nother thing. But like the BB King and Elvis, because I've heard lots of people like talk about, I've heard like murmury, murmurs of like whispers and, and you know, in, in clubs and, 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 and at different shows of yeah. people saying they heard this time at the, uh, at the at the housing projects where Elvis lived, mm-hmm. where this guy was showing people how to play music, and Elvis went over to learn, and it was BB King. Oh. People, I, you know, this is all this apocryphal stuff where people are right. trying to find this moment when rock and roll emerges. Right, like right, one, right, right. The one interaction in which <laughs> rock and roll, right, country and blues met. Right. Yeah, and it's this right. moment when you know this working class sharecropping history uh white uh country musician kind of in- interacts or someone with a kind of country background interacts with bb king anyways but no the, the liberace piece i thought would have been could have fit into this film yeah um and would have totally aligned with the baz vision um, mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that Elvis and Liberace had a friendship, but it does explain like a pretty distinct shift in his uh, mm-hmm. stage presence and costuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that everyone know, you know, like it's very distinctive, like young Elvis with the suits and the, mm-hmm. you know, black and white shoes. And then, uh, yeah, then it the shifts to, with the, yeah, the, the jumpsuits the and the capes yeah, and the, yeah, that's very, that's very liberal. iconic, iconic. Um, yeah, that's a fair missed opportunity. But this kind of points to our next, if I'm going to take the, you know, you said themes Go and for questions. It. Yeah, themes and questions. What do you got? It's a film about relationships. Mm. But, right, like, so this is not, like, you're already saying, like, okay, this is a film, this is not a film about Elvis, right? Like, this is a film about, you're bracketing it. You're bracketing it around, like, and we're thinking about it in terms of relationships. Like, how do you how do you bite off a piece of Elvis, right? Like, because there's right. this large tableau mm-hmm. that's as wide as, you know, post-war American uh, culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's like, so what are you going to, how are you going to take your slice so you can tell a story? And here the story is conceivably or ostensibly about Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis. And that's kind yeah. of how, that's their narrowing device. Right. And, mm. um, and so you think, okay, this is a film about that relationship. But I actually don't think that's the relationship that this film is about. Okay. What's it about? What makes it interesting to me. And I, I was going to, I was kind of saving this when you said the likes. I was saving this in my back pocket. Okay. Let's hear it. Bring it out. Pull it out of your back pocket. I think this movie is about Elvis's relationship to his audience. Hmm. And I think. Well, that is kind of what they say at the end. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is not like, you know, profound hot take. <laughs> and I think you've got Tom Parker there. Mm-hmm. as the person who was probably best equipped to tell that story mm. of the relationship between an emerging young audience and mm. the star, the object of their affection. Right. And so he's there from the very beginning, well, not hmm. the very beginning, but early on, you know, Sam Phillips and Sun Studios falls to the wayside. He comes in, scoops him. And from very early, the early recordings on, he's there until the end. Yeah. Uh, he's there before Priscilla. I mean, yep. like, if you're going to tell the story of Elvis's relationship to his audience, and mm-hmm. you can't tell it from Elvis's perspective, because when you're in the act of performing, you've got that tunnel, you've got the zone where you're, right, you're, right, right. you're, 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 you're you know, you're, you don't have the objectivity, you don't have the distance to kind of anal- analyze that situation. Mm-hmm. Um he does. And he's also the one, interestingly enough, who's constructing that relationship at every turn. Right. And so what was really interesting to me about this film, the theme that I think it, it kind of does nail, is that, yes, Elvis was a world-class interpreter of music. Mm-hmm. And but if he did not exist... Yeah someone else would have taken mm, his place. Mm. And it I don't think the 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 trajectory of American history would have would have would have would have been in too far to the left or right of what we have now because essentially mm. everything that had to be in place to make Elvis right was technological, right? right. Like it's 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 cheap print, 
it's magazine culture, it's radio disposable, mm-hmm. you know, uh, radio programming, it's uh, affordable vinyl records, mm-hmm. an expanding middle class after the post-war, right. you know, the post-war boom. You've got the television industry coming in. You've got movies and like still. the birth of the idea of a teenager. I feel like the birth of the idea of the teenager, and uh, they have disposable income, and they right. want to find some way to kind of. Uh, register their identity mm-hmm. and Elvis becomes that yeah uh, like a cultural marker which to project your your personal identity and right and that's what's really interesting to me like that yeah. is the story that is really interesting about these kind of technological forces this emerging public and how uh, Elvis becomes this uh this, this kind of icon around which all of this takes shape. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to me. And I think what you get, like, you, in order to make that as a narrative film, Parker is your best perspective on that. Because okay. all the way through, he's the one who had, like, you know, like, yeah, I'll, I'll save it. It's, well, it's, I feel like I feel into, like we're getting into favorite part territory. Okay, okay, wanna, fair. I don't want to hold your horses. We're almost there. Um, but I will say, I feel like listening to you talk about it, you I don't know if Baz Luhrmann had the same conception in mind when he made the movie. Do you know what I mean? But I don't want to say too much more about that. Well, because w- one thing you said, the idea that like Elvis, if not, if it were an Elvis, it would have been somebody else connects to one of the things that I think is an implied theme of the film, which is uh, this idea of the carnival. Um, Mm. Podcast listeners will remember in our Nightmare Alley episode, we talked a lot about the carnival and the idea of the carnival geek, which is uh, an important part of Nightmare Alley, um, which was recently remade by Guillermo del Toro, but is a story from the 40s. And apparently the original movie the Colonel Tom Parker in real life was a big fan of nightmare alley would watch it a lot and talk about it a lot. And I think one of the themes of this movie or one of the ideas behind it is this question is, was Elvis like a modern day version of a carnival carnival geek, which if you don't know what that is, you should go back and listen to our nightmare alley podcast. But But just for the sake, just to kind of do a drop in, it's a person who is, uh, who has some sort of addiction and they are they are their their addiction is manipulated so that they will do hideous repulsive things before uh, an audience an so audience you create a spectacle out of addiction you create a spectacle right and often people from the margins of society to begin right. with um yeah so there I think there is this theme throughout of like Parker manipulating Elvis like I guess the 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 theory would be to play out the metaphor right Elvis's addiction would be to fame or to being liked and you know beloved or to method or, or to amphetamine well yeah and then he also develops an actual yeah. addiction to prescription um but in the early days there's none of that really right he's like drinking coca-cola um and uh yeah, the colonel sort of like finds him and creates this dependent mm-hmm. performer who uh, he's completely in control of. 
Um, and the performer has no real ability to escape. Um, it's kind of connected to this idea of there's a line in the movie where Priscilla says, don't let, don't let the Colonel clip your wings, which I think is sort of the, the thesis of the movie, right? Is that Elvis could have been bigger could have been a legitimate movie star, which is what he always wanted to be. Could have been all these different things, if not for Parker manipulating him. Um, and it's a, it's a read of Elvis that leaves him with very little agency. And like, it makes you, the film basically makes you feel like Elvis had no control over his life, which I know is actually a very common read of Elvis. And I think of a lot of, uh, super famous people, right? Like I think about like Michael Jackson and people talking about how, like, when you're that famous, no one ever tells you no. And like, you don't have like trusted individuals around to stop you from doing questionable things. And same with like Elvis and his addiction. But yeah, this idea that the Colonel was incredibly manipulative, manipulative and Elvis was just part of this big show that he was putting on. Um, I, I think that's basically what Baz Luhrmann's theory of Elvis is not that I agree with it, but that felt like a very clear theme to me. Yeah, that's, that's a good read. It's interesting. It's provocative. I mean, I like it because mm, it makes me want to think about the film. Um, I like that a lot. I, 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 I could push back with some examples, but hit me with an example. Oh, what, okay. But one more thing I do want to say is, like you said earlier, like the current uh, the colonel is portrayed as kind of like a wizard figure, mm-hmm. and there are multiple film multiple scenes in the film where he's like peeking from behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there is this like imagery associating him with like the man behind the you know pay no attention to the man behind the curtain slash carnival the guy who's running the carnival you never actually see he's always behind the scenes like looking through the curtains kind of thing. So anyway, just want to talk a little bit about that imagery, but yes, push back on my Elvis's carnival geek theory. Well, I, I like it because it, it, it kind of in, injects grit back into the, the tableau of Elvis, right? Like mm. you think of, of and, right. and, and the geeks carnival. are such, right. Geeks are such a kind of post-war kind of uh icon i mean they're probably previous to that the freak shows and whatnot but right. um uh the the kind of iconography that's on the 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 carnivals it it, it seems to have a a 1950s provenance but um and it's also just garish and grotesque and right very bazzy but yeah but he, he and there's but a, that's there's true that, he's not really garish but he is well, he is garish, but I don't think he's grotesque. Like, there's okay, not a lot enough. of, there's not a lot, like, uh, like at least in the film. He's very pretty, like, right? It's, like, usually mm-hmm. very pretty iconography. Right, right, right. That's fair. Uh, but it, it also seems like the 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 metaphor, or the allegory of the of the geek and the mm-hmm. barker, if we're thinking about that, is the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it fits because one was trained as a barker and the other right. had an addiction. So, mm-hmm. it, it, like, it, it, it aligns. But if we're going to complicate it a little, right, like there, at least in my understanding, is that the Barker has some sort of control in the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think this film, uh, in some ways, I, I don't think it humanizes 
Colonel Tom Parker, but it does show him as being out of control as well. Um, like the gambling yeah. addiction that that becomes something that they bring in, and so at that point, like they both become geeks or something. Like they're both yeah, doing it to perpetuate fair. this addiction, and I don't think it's wrong. It's just like the Barker right. It's not. Becomes, it's not a straightforward. Has become the geek. Yeah, or the sideshow. Right. Yeah. 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 So. Um, but did you I, one thing that annoyed me about the film is like uh so i understood that he had all these like gambling addictions but it really comes out of nowhere they don't ever show him like gambling at any point in the film until they go to las vegas no but i think they do that they establish that through the film opening in las vegas right so Howard you know Hughes that fashion, and he's like, like he's he's convalescing and, and apparently he really did used to wander through vegas like in with, his IV and everything. final years I don't know about the IV but in his final years like spending his fortune on the slot machines and, or various gambling anyway um yeah that's fair that's a fair pushback where the colonel does sort of lose control because he's beholden to these debts but I yeah the whole I don't know this is a that... lack of plot <laughs> yeah but I I think your point about the geek goes back to the idea of like the expressionist notion of the supernatural of having someone who can control another person like that's right. so much of a, a fantasy of the occult is like finding some way of tapping into a power mm -hmm. to control someone and to have a power over someone that they wouldn't nor commonly have but the thing that's interesting about this is that like Parker controls Elvis Elvis has this kind of mesmerizing control over the audience. Right. So it's, it's, it's an interesting kind mm. of, um, mm. and then, and the women and the audience, the famous thing, right. They, they right. burst they just out and their scream minds. uncontrollable. Right. So does right. that mean the women are the geeks? Right. Mm. Like, so that, like we've got this kind of human centipede of geeks, like, <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> Where everyone is somehow kind of that figuring, is terrible. Yeah, like everyone is in this kind of food chain literally, of geeks. We are now in Nightmare Alley, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The thing of nightmares. Put the kids to bed. <sighs> okay, I the, I had a couple of questions as well. One of my questions is: is it's a two part question? Number yeah. one, is Baz Lerman does he does he identify with the Colonel? I thought and you were going to ask, is, is Baz Luhrmann any good? Are we sure he's good? I thought that's what you were going to ask. <laughs> is like, he? Uh, I really think this no, movie no, no, is no. not going to do. The movie has not been doing very well. But no, does he identify with the colonel slash why is Baz Luhrmann telling this story? <laughs> These are the reasons I have this question. And I'm trying to do this in a way that does not make me sound like a nativist. <laughs> but... Elvis is a very American story. Oh, so why do you have this? Okay, yeah. Yeah, why is someone from Australia telling this story? Also, does he identify with the colonel because he's like, I mean, it's very interesting when you talk about, like Baz Luhrmann has remade also The Great Gatsby, which many people would argue is like the great American story. I would not argue that, but- some people would. <laughs> and so he's in like their, in their ninth grade uh, term papers. <laughs> say that. He's dealing he's dealing with these like very American ideas, which I do believe that like sometimes an outsider has a better understanding of another place than you know the people who are in it. Like it allows you to see things that sometimes you're blind to when you're in the place itself. 
But with this film, it just felt like, to me, I was like, this is made by somebody who like, wasn't able to deal with like the nuance, especially like the race stuff that try that they try to do in this film felt like badly executed and inaccurate. And you credit that to the fact that he's not American. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that could be wrong, but it felt ba- like Baz is not American. That Baz is not American. That he did not grow up. That he because not- I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very simplified version. And they also try to sanitize, they try to sanitize Elvis so much like the scene of him walking through the streets of Beale street and like being loved on by all the black people who are around. Like they're just basically like, it was basically like black people love Elvis. It's basically like a huge underlying component of the film. He's at the cookout, which I mean, the cookout. Right. Which to be fair, to be fair at a time of incredible, uh, what's the opposite of integration? Segregation. Segregation. segregation especially at the south elvis would push against those boundaries in real life and like go to things that were reserved for only black people so there was some truth to it but it just felt like it like just i think you are the one that said this like the beginning of the movie is like (laughs) it was just like black people made elvis like elvis you know like he had all these black it's just like elvis and black people for the first like 30 minutes of the film yeah they're trying to suppress Santa kind of, they're trying to suppress any story of general antagonism through uh synergy that like oh it was just synergy like it was this in right the air, right he was just around black it. people and then he took i mean there's a slight nod but i mean i think we should say like a very common argument about elvis and why there are many black people in america who do not like elvis is they, they view him as stealing black music and it felt like this film was trying to be like no, 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 no. Everyone was cool with Elvis. You know what I mean? And, and, but there, it is very true that the fact that Elvis was white allowed him a great deal of success that many people who were performing similar kinds of music that weren't white did not have, which they like sort of acknowledge in the film, but there's like one scene with him in a little Richard where he's like, if I were white, I would be making so much more money. But right. I, I don't. I don't remember how we got here. But no, no, no. You're 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 raising the good questions. I mean, I think to go back to my earlier point about how the um, that I liked it that this seemed like one person's perspective on Elvis. Yeah, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Yeah, that this is this is an artificial uh, Elvis that's uh, you know uh, that's calling attention to its own artifice constantly. The problem yeah. with that. Mm. The problem with that though. Yes. Is that that gives him permission to contrive all of these relationships right uh, that have you know uh, that 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 you know you're you're like you said you're airbrushing or you're 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 whitewashing the story mm-hmm. of appropriation um right i'm not like i am not interested in making a claim for art as property yeah, My whole life. Well, BB King like, would agree with you. Music doesn't belong to anyone per any one race or person. BB King says. I'm also not interested in advocating that Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones can have multiple planes, and the blues musicians right. that they were incredibly influenced by can't go to the dentist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, God bless America. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like, so there has to be some discussion of these very large 
like there there has to be some kind of deft handling of these things. Right. It's, it's a very tricky set. Of, yeah. I guess that's one of the reasons why we have to say like you're an interested in Elvis. Like because I don't think either of us would go in and say I mean suspicious minds is a, is a masterpiece. But <laughs> uh, but like nobody would go in and just be like uncomplicated in their uh, affection for Elvis really I don't think. But I think is interesting to about Elvis is that when you put Elvis at the middle of the room, mm-hmm. you can have a lot of conversations. I just think right you can you know like uh, there are there are a lot of things that he's touching upon his his career i mean if it's thinking about like i said technology if it's thinking about sexuality if it's thinking about gender if it's think if it's mm-hmm. thinking about race and the ways in which the commodification of race right uh, uh, the commodification of art like all mm-hmm. of these things right you can get to through elvis yeah. i just think what i liked about the film and which i think it could do a little bit more this is what I think it's trying to do in a, in a small way. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of trying to decenter Elvis from the story mm. of Elvis. And, and I, like I would that. say it did successfully decenter Elvis. I, I like that. I like that story because I think Elvis was great. I think Elvis was amazing. But I also think that story only happens because all of these other right the greater forces surrounding him right material forces are at play and he's trying to tell that story um but at the same time Mm. it allows him because it's a very constructed individual person's narrative to overlook the things that are really problematic and kind of gaslight us because Mm -hmm. like it's like wait what there are all these stories about domestic abuse Am I just mm. imagining that stuff? Like, right. Well, yeah. And the whole like 10 years difference between him and Priscilla when they met and she was only 14 is glossed over. <laughs> right. And so there's all these little things that like get glossed over and you're like, it, it kind of just feels like it's gaslighting. You're like, wait, why did I ever have, like, you know, like. <laughs> That's true. It. The whole time I was like, I need to look this up when I, right. <laughs> when I was watching the film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, listening to you talk reminds me that for part of the film, I was like, is this supposed to be campy? Especially the scene when he drops mm. Lisa Marie off. They're at the airport and like he's in his car and he drops Lisa Marie off to Priscilla and then mm-hmm. gets in a plane. Mm-hmm. And as he's ascending the steps of the plane, he turns and looks at Priscilla and mouths, I'll always love you. And it's just a weird campy scene. Like the kind of thing that I could see at like a Rocky Horror Picture Show midnight show and people yelling like, oh, oh I love you know what I mean? It felt very campy. And I think the more I think about it, I wish that's what he had done. I wish he had just gone like full camp, like crazy, like zooms and like swivels with the camera, which he did for Romeo and Juliet. Like when this started, I had, there were strong Romeo and Juliet vibes in the beginning of the film. Mm. And then they just sort of petered out. I felt like. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But yeah, I think he should have focused in on one moment and just like played up the camp because I think he could have done a lot. I think he's good at camp and he could have done more with it if it had been a little bit more tongue in cheek or just like, I don't know. It just. Have you ever seen, I don't know if they, they, they air that much. I don't know where I've seen them, but I see. Have you what? seen any like cologne or perfume advertisements? 
and they're these in my life yes yeah i've probably like, seen more snl skits idealized, making fun of them idealized bodies. like eternity by calvin klein and they're doing these and they're like in these kind of mc escher sets where like oh yeah yeah, yeah, ceiling, yes. yeah 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 and yeah, they're yeah, just yeah like doing these kind of idealized abstract symbolic yes. things and yes. there's no real meaning they're just yeah. kind of beautiful idealized beautiful forms. Shapes, this yeah. movie felt to me like a cologne commercial mm. like it had that mm. like uh, i mean it this is someone who's a satorialist you know he's he's a, yeah. he's a whole clothes horse he loves clothes he loves it's like he him just, being elvis or baz Luhrmann. baz like okay. it just seems to me like somebody who likes the style of elvis and wants to kind yes. of yes have a thin story so he can just do a lot of style yes i agree well and that's and i have read that like that's sort of baz Luhrmann. in many ways that's his mo right style as substance mm. yeah and, i think that's right right and that not, um, I, I don't really know his work that well. I know Romeo and Juliet. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, everything, he definitely has a very distinct style, right? Like even you could look at that movie poster. I could have looked at that movie poster and it not said who did it. And I would have been like, that's a Baz Luhrmann movie poster. You know what I mean? Like it has a very specific, it looks like Moulin Rouge. It looks like uh, Romeo and Juliet. And I think you're right, mostly because I read an interview with Baz Luhrmann. He was re- wearing a replica of an Elvis belt, <laughs> which leads me to believe <laughs> that he just did really like Elvis's style and was like, I want to figure this out. I read that he did go to the Graceland archives for three years. I don't know how often he was going there. I was like, did this man research Elvis at all? <laughs> and apparently he did do some research. I think he made some very strange storytelling choices. But, um, mm. all right, but favorite part. it's time now to talk about our favorite part. I should say that we both really, truly have the same favorite part, which is the very end of the movie when they show two minutes of actual footage of Elvis. Ooh. I will say throughout the film, I was like, I really just should be watching a, a, like a documentary or like watching an old Elvis concert was what I wanted to do while watching the film. Mm -hmm. But putting real Elvis aside, what was your favorite part, Pete? No, I got to sit on that for just a minute because that's the, like, that's the 10. And my next favorite mark is like the three. So like, it's that. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. I got to sit on that just for a minute because I think I said it to you yesterday. Yeah. It's like the difference between Madonna and the Madonna. Like, (laughs) When you see Austin Butler, Butler. Mm-hmm. you're like, this is a, this is a, a an easy to watch performance. Yeah. Um, and the voice carries. There's some, you know, this 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 doesn't upset me. This doesn't seem hokey. Doesn't seem like he's making an impersonation. Right. And then at the end, when mm-hmm. you see the overweight Elvis mm-hmm. at the piano bench belting out that song mm-hmm. like that image i've seen that image before and right. it's often held up as this this image as like gross the gross elvis right the bad elvis, bad elvis. This is, sweaty this elvis is, yeah this is this is the elvis that's okay for us to impugn and make fun of right but what the film had kind of done by the end when you see that like i'm not thinking like I didn't think about all those times in which that image is presented to me as something deserving of derision. Right. 
uh, or, or, or something that is kind of funny, a kind of cautionary right. tale. It's actually incredibly powerful. Yeah. Right. And you're just like, holy crap, this guy had more mm-hmm. magnetism in his yep. pinky yep. than than most of Hollywood. Like right. you could you 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 take Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and put them together and you've got his left leg. Mm-hmm. And this guy <laughs> this guy was just so charismatic. Yeah. And and then I kind of come back and think, well, I was like, that is not who walked into Sun Studios. He didn't well, have that true. level. That's true. That's the charisma of someone who has been trained mm-hmm. and, and lived their life on stage in a way that no one else previously had. No one right. else had had that level of exposure mm-hmm. internationally that Elvis had. And he did. Yeah. And he had like, at that point, it was like all of that experience, all those reps Mm-hmm. he's just sweating all those reps out at that piano bench <laughs> and you're just like yeah what? he sounds great you can't take your eyes off him you can't you get chills it's the only film in the part of the film that gave me like that that gave me chills and i was like yeah okay if you want us to walk away from this film feeling good you did a good job <laughs> with the last two minute montage yeah <laughs> okay well besides what was your 10, favorite part my favorite part was I will say the one part that I think I've probably given this given this away already. I think at the end of the 68 comeback special when he sings if I can dream was not because of like all the blah, you know, they do a lot of contextualizing of the meaning of that song performance. Oh, yeah, but beat you over the head with it, buddy. Yes, it's very intense. Heavy handed. But he- very heavy handed, but just, I love that song. And I thought his performance of it was really good. And they actually like let the song play for a while, which they don't do with a lot of the songs. Although mm-hmm. I will say, if you're a fan of that's all right, mama, you're going to hear it about 50 times in this film, but, um, <laughs> but never uh, as it was originally recorded. Yes, correct. Um, but yeah, that was a time when it just felt to me, it felt like I was enjoying an Elvis performance and uh, I appreciated that part of the film. I thought it was well done. Mm-hmm. Like at least it had a little story. It felt like an achievement when it happened. You know, I, there was a little plot surrounding that one. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why I liked that part of the best. Mine was, I can't, like I only watched it once and it's not streaming or anything. So I can't go back and see it, but there's a sequence. I have to go back and think about it, but like essentially it's early, early on. Mm-hmm. It's two scenes. Like we get it one time, and then it we get it kind of overlaid the second time. And I don't know if we have a a flashback to the first scene, okay. or if it's just he's using the same language and it conjures those earlier images in your mind. Okay, I can't, I can't remember if I hallucinated the earlier scene. <laughs> okay, well, tell us what it. happened, and we'll see if I can help you. <laughs> it's when the snowman, which we haven't even talked oh. about. That's such a great opening frame frame like, i think it's that's one of those fair. things that like i think it's such a great frame because this is someone who so many people know a whole lot about we have a, a, a general sense a general awareness about elvis but this sense of thinking about him as the snowman like that's a sense like something taken from the real put Parker. into parker's yeah. reality put into the film that gives that washes the film over with enough 
uh, credibility and uh, yeah, r- real evidence. They do a lot of. They talk about. Oh, snow. they talk. The snow thing is. Yeah, it's heavy handed. It's, it's heavy handed. But there's a part where he's talking about his time in the carnival shows mm-hmm. where he's saying, I learned that people oh, yeah, yeah, wanted yeah. things that they weren't supposed to want. Yes. And it was about this process of watching people come to grips with their own uh, carnal desires. Carnal desires. And yeah. that scene then gets called back. When, when he sees Elvis at the hayride, right, which is actually anachronistic, but whatever. Correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's in it, in their version of the hayride. Yeah, there is a a young, I don't know, uh, strawberry blonde brunette. Yeah, that's sitting in the audience, and Parker kind of zooms in on her reaction to Elvis. Well, it's also supposed to be Sam Phillips' wife. Is it? No, maybe that was at the Overton, or not the Overton Park, but the one that was like happening at the same time. As Overton I'm talking. Park. About you're right. You're right. The first one is just she, some random girl. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she has green eyes. I can't remember, but the, I remember there was some green and red. I, I, I imagine. I think were the colors in this on the screen. Mm-hmm. Wrong, but it takes you through this slow monologue of like what's happening to her, almost like biochemically, like these these kind of forces that are at play in her body right and And it is yeah parker says the same thing that he said in the beginning when it was just an explanation he's like i was watching her yeah i think that's that was the that was my most interesting part because it gets all the things that were most interesting to me about how this is actually a film about elvis's relationship to his audience and Mm. and and parker is kind of sitting there he's like diagramming it diagramming it for us in that scene but then facilitating it through his career right Mm-hmm. Hmm. that's fair yeah i mean that was a good scene you do get the sense that elvis was a different kind of performer mm-hmm. <laughs> he was doing things to the audience and nobody else was mm-hmm. um all right pete any final thoughts or feelings or questions you know like I'm sure that we could have done this podcast seven times and it would have gone seven different ways. And, <laughs> and sometimes we probably would have been more in favor of Elvis as a historical figure and more, you know, and harder on him in other times. Right. I think, uh, the question that I'm left with, and I don't think it's for us to, to discuss right now. I was going to say, well, the, the film generates interesting conversation. Yeah. But does it? I'm trying to figure out that. Like, is it that it generates interesting conversation or is it just seizing upon really interesting subject matter and yeah. we're talking about the subject matter and it's the subject matter that's that we're actually interested right. in? Right. Like the film didn't do anything new to the subject matter that already existed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But I do know that um, I wasn't mad at it. <laughs> I will say... People in the film that I was in seemed to really enjoy it and like left being like, great job, Bez. So that's But something. I know, I know, like I, I knew watching it that I, I had like 10 people in my mind 
like like little angels on my shoulder that were yeah. just like shaking their head like this, right yeah this same is I was foolishness like, exactly like, this is foolishness right. or just being like wrong wrong <laughs> like either like the the music historians or right. you know uh people who are kind of suspicious of this whole idea of a white savior coming along and stealing black right. music yeah like it just seems like what like i mean there there are these kind of appalling moments um yeah uneven but you know yeah well i'm glad we got to talk about it um thanks for coming on the pod pete hopefully we'll have you back soon thanks it, you know if you'll if you'll accept our invitation uh next week i'm talking about the movie an old movie not a movie newsies the disney musical <laughs> with my friend one of my favorite films with my friend mindy uh, one of my favorite labor organizers. We're going to chat about one of our favorite labor films in celebration of the beginning of the newsboy strike in the 1920s, which happened in July. Um, all right, that's it. We did it. Thanks, Thanks for coming, folks. Pete. Bye-bye. Have a great day, everybody. Bye, y'all.